Welcome to a Wednesday night, uh, September the 6th edition of the Christian Underground News Network. I'm your host, Kurt Chamberlain, uh, and I've got with us tonight, uh, I've got our very special guest, Mr. Lucas Doremus. And we, uh, if you'll recall, last month, uh, last month's show was uh, an introduction to the book of Job. And we're going to stick with Job. There's so, so much to learn from this book. Uh, I don't know. I, I, Lucas tells me we might spend a couple months on this book. Correct, Lucas? Correct. Well, you, you know, if we spent a couple of years on it, I don't think we, I still don't think we'd be able to cover all of it. Yeah. So much in here. It's just packed with, with, beautiful beautiful information so without further ado um take us on a journey through job if you will sir yeah so we'll start off just with a little review again i don't like to review very much on a podcast because you can always listen to last week's episode but we started the book of job and we went through the first two chapters last week which in which we found out job is a righteous man which means he's saved he is a believer he's going to heaven and most of our time was spent on this little meeting and deal that Satan made with God. And God says, you know, look at my servant Job, how righteous he is. And Satan says, yeah, but if you take away all that protection you've given him, he'll curse you to your face. So in two little agreements, Satan was able to take away everything that Job had except for his life. And so Job... Uh, obviously was very depressed, had sores all over his body, scraping all his sores with pot shards. Uh, His wife even forsake him. Oh, yeah. And uh, his three friends uh, named Bildad, uh, Zilpah, no, Zophar, excuse me, Zilpah's a different person in the Bible, Zophar and uh, Eliphaz come, and they they didn't even recognize him when they got there, and so they sat down with him and didn't speak for a week. So we're actually, now I teach this book a little differently than I remember when I read this book over and over again. I had trouble deciphering what Job, Eliphaz, Zophar, and Bildad say. And so we're actually going to skip from chapter 2 all the way to 32. What? And this is where, yep, this is where Elihu starts talking. And the reason I skip there is because we go with Elihu and what he says, which we know is all true. In fact, he even tells us it's pure knowledge, and we're going to get to that in a little bit. And then right after Elihu gets done talking, God talks to Job. And so that helps us frame Job and his friends' argument, what they're saying. Sometimes they do say true things, and it can be difficult to know where to go with that. And so starting in chapter 32 with Elihu and then what God says, it helps us know what their conclusions are, are wrong. Uh, Oftentimes, Job and his friends, their premises are actually correct. They all validate that God's in charge and God is very holy, man is not. All of them validate that, but their conclusions, either what Job reasons or what his friends reason, are wrong. And so that's what we're going to start with uh, chapter 32. Now, in chapter 2, it just mentions uh, Zophar, Bildad, and Eliphaz, but it's very clear that Elihu has been there the whole time. So I don't know if that means he just tagged along with one of them, or maybe he was somewhere in the area and he was mourning with Job also and just not mentioned. Mm-hmm. Because it's very clear in these first few, this first chapter of 32, that Eliphat, or Elihu has heard the whole thing, right. and he's just been waiting to talk until these guys are done talking. <laughs> so this is verse one of chapter 32, and this is these first two verses are kind of the crux of the whole thing that we need to understand. It says, "So these three men, that's Job's friends, ceased answering Job because he was righteous in his own eyes." And there we have Job's whole problem. That's it in a nutshell. Mm -hmm. Now, again, I'll reiterate, Job was saved. He was a believer. Otherwise, God wouldn't be calling him righteous. And so Job is not on his way to hell. He didn't lose his salvation. 
Uh, right. he, he was always a believer, but he's a believer who's gone astray. You know, he's, he's not. Become, he's become self-righteous. Yes, he's lost fellowship with God, as the New Testament puts it. Um, and his problem is he's righteous in his own eyes. Uh, let's read verse 2. Uh, it elaborates on it a little bit. Then the wrath of Elihu, the son of Baruchel, the Buzite, of the family of Ram, Ram, was aroused against Job. His wrath was aroused because he justified himself rather than God. So being in, righteous in your own eyes is the same as justifying yourself rather than God. And uh, I don't know, I've been guilty of this a time or two, Curtis, where something happens, say, at work that doesn't turn out positively for you. Mm -hmm. And you're on your way home from work, you know, you're driving home or later that night you're thinking about work or in the shower because, you know, that's where all your best ideas and, you know, thinking about work comes is in the shower. Yeah. And uh, you sit there and you think about how you were right and everybody else is wrong. And, uh -huh. and your leadership is dumb and you're much smarter than them. And if only if you were running things, it would work out well and how much better. You know, again, I've been guilty of that a time or two or, you know, like 15,000, you know, whatever. But <laughs> that's exactly what Job is doing. Yeah, yeah, he is. He is taking his situation, which we explained last week, he is not directly deserving of the treatment he's been given. True. In fact, it he's so righteous that he didn't deserve what Satan gave, what Satan did to him. Absolutely correct. Yet at the same time, Job is still a sinner, so he still deserves hell. Yes. And so we have to keep those two in balance. But what Job is doing, his ultimate sin is he's taking his situation and he's thinking he's right instead of God. You know, we read in chapter 1 where Job said, uh, Naked I came from my mother's womb and naked shall I return. The Lord gave away and the Lord taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. No matter what the adversity is, that's the right attitude. Right. And it says right after that, Job did not sin. So Job, these things happened to Job. He didn't start sinning right off the bat. I think what happened, Curtis, this is just my best guess, reading chapters 1 and chapter 2, and then reading uh, verse 30, or, or chapter 32 here. I think Job, he sat there and he stewed. You know, for a week, he sat there and thought about his situation and thought about how unfair it was. Uh -huh. And then we get to the point where he actually starts speaking, and that's where we're at. So that's where Job is. Now, Elihu's not only mad at Job, so this is verse 3, also against his three friends his wrath was aroused because they had found no answer and yet had condemned Job. That's right. And we'll you know read all of this, but... Sometimes these guys, they come up with very elaborate arguments and they sound very smart. And again, they sometimes their premises are correct. But the problem is they didn't really answer what Job's argument was. And, right. and, and uh, Elihu is going to sum up some of his arguments, which is really nice. But if you go through what Job says and then what his friend says and then what Job says and then what his friend you'll find that they're always a little bit off. You know, and sometimes they flat out don't even address what Job said. They just, like, ignore him and keep going with what they were saying before, condemning him. Yep. So Job's friends, they've got a lot of problems. So Elihu's sitting here. He's mad about the whole thing. But verse 4 here, Now because they were years older than he, Elihu had waited to speak to Job. Mm-hmm. I think that's a very important principle. Uh, I'm in my mid-30s, and there are a lot of people older than me that are, are much wiser than me. And you know what, Curtis? Even if they're not wiser than me, that doesn't mean I get to speak over them. True. That, 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 that's, that's basic courtesy, number one. Mm -hmm. Basic respect, yeah. Yep, and I remember I, was, I used to be a teacher you know, in a school, and I remember telling kids you know they would say some things and i just remember 
in a kind way. I wasn't, you know, reprimanding them and, you know, really yelling at them, but just saying, boy, I would never talk to my teachers the way you guys talk to me. <laughs> yeah. You know, oh, yeah. We've, we've lost some of that respect. You know, I've even had, we always do for our friends, uh, their parents, they, we always do miss, you know, so-and-so or Mr. So-and-so. And then we do first names. We don't do last names, but I've even had my kids ask why do we say miss or mrs well it's a sign of respect yeah and you're supposed to respect people that are older than you amazing that that question should even be asked mm -hmm. and i'm glad i'm glad my kids ask it because they understand now when you get into middle school and high school you're right curtis we should understand common courtesy by then oh i thought you were talking about your high school students oh asking that. no my i there were a lot of them oh. that didn't understand that wow no, so it, we're losing some of that. But uh, anyway. Yeah. Or we lost most of it. <laughs> yeah. So I just make the point, and he's going to say something I actually find quite humorous here in a sec, but we'll get there. Uh, verse 5, when Elihu saw that there was no answer in the mouth of these three men, his wrath was aroused. So he sees that, I, th I don't know, I would guess, Curtis, that these guys are kind of yelling at each other. Mm -hmm. I don't get the feeling from this, the way they're talking to each other, that it was very polite and soft-spoken. Yeah. I think it was more of a heated debate. Very heated. And so there's no answer. So finally his three friends just be quiet. And I think they do kind of a, ah, you know, that kind of thing and, you know, wave their arms at him. And so that's when he keeps getting mad. And so this is verse 6. So Elihu, the son of Barakel, the Buzite, answered and said, here we go. Elihu starts talking. I am young in years, and you are very old. <laughs> I just kind of like how he puts that in, very old. You know, you're not just old. You're very old. <laughs> just so. And again, we, we said in our first hour, Job was, I'm going to guess, probably roughly 70 years old. You know, maybe uh, 60 or 70. Yeah. I think so. And from this, you know, I would guess Ellie Hughes maybe in his twenties or thirties. Uh, from maybe from the from the tone, yes. Yeah, I, I, I do agree. He's probably in his mid twenties at best. Yep. Um. So that's anecdotal, but uh, but anyway, just think that. So it's still on verse six. Therefore, I was afraid, and dared not declare my opinion to you. Now, maybe I'm reading too much into this, but Ellie Hughes might have known Job. And Job says a lot of things about how people used to respect him and listen to him until all this happened. Elihu might have been in that camp. He uh, might have. He, he might have really respected and known Job before this. And so to see Job just going nuts like he is now, you can understand why Elihu might have been mad if he knew Job. Like, how could you, Job? I looked up to you, you know, kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. Uh, verse 7. I said, age should speak, and multitude of years should teach wisdom. But there is a spirit in man, and the breath of the Almighty gives him understanding. Great men are not always wise, nor do the aged always understand justice. Mm -hmm. Just because you are older does not mean you are wiser. Doesn't mean you're always correct. Yep. The principle here is because you're older, you have had more time to gain wisdom. Now, whether you have gained it or not is a question, but you've had more time. And so age should speak, multitude of years should teach wisdom, but there is a spirit of man, and the breath of the Almighty gives him understanding. So if you are older... And you have not applied yourself to learning from the Almighty, God here. You're not going to gain that wisdom. Mm -hmm. I was talking to a guy today, and we were just talking about some things, and we got talking about some theology-type things. And, you know, there were some things I said to him, and kind of, a, you know, oh, I've never really heard that before. I've only heard little bits and pieces of it. And the guy was about my age, just a couple years older, actually. And, you know, there's just like, I wish everybody knew that. You know, if you're yeah. listening to this podcast, you're applying yourself. We're right. doing our best to go deep and get into the word and not give you just surface uh, theology here. Right. You know, I, I listen to this podcast. I listen to Pastor Dick. I listen to D uh, Dr. Hickson, and I learn <laughs> from them. Me too. 
Um, and I'm glad we do that. So we're doing our best here. So yeah, apply yourself, and as you get older, you'll get wiser uh, when you listen to God. Uh, verse 10, Therefore I say, listen to me, I will also declare my opinion. Indeed, I waited for your words, I listened to your reasonings, while you searched out what to say. Uh, this is why I think Elihu has basically been here the whole time. Verse 12, mm -hmm. I paid close attention to you, and surely not one of you convinced Job or answered his words. Lest you say, we have found wisdom. God will vanquish him, not man. Now, Curtis, you know, when you study things, you start to learn more the more you study them. And this is, I just picked this up this past week when I was studying. You know, this verse 13, lest you say, we have found wisdom. You know, this is a, when you are able to correctly debate someone and come up with the answer, you generally think you're wise. And I think he's saying here, you obviously don't have that feeling because you're just being silent and Job's still angry. But then this next line here, God will vanquish him, not man. I think what Elihu is saying here is that the tenor of all his friends' arguments were often not directed or not directly at Job. They were more general statements about man and the wicked. Yeah. Because so often they really don't apply directly to Job. And That's so true. and so I think what Elihu is saying here is God will vanquish him, as in Job. God will deal with him, judge him, not man. As in you guys' arguments, you kept trying to say, man, this, wicked, that, man will bring. No, no, no. God will take care of it, not man. So he's sort of hinting here about how all their arguments were really off. Mm -hmm. You know, and sure. if you if you want to get down to it, so many of their arguments were basically karma. As in, if you obviously did wicked things, Job, which is why you're getting this wicked treatment. And if you would do good things, you would not get this wicked treatment, mm -hmm. which is karma uh, the, or the concept of karma. And so I think Elihu's hinting at that and directing it here or, you know, foreshadowing uh, verse 14. Now, he has not directed his words against me, as in Job has not been talking to me. He's not arguing with me. I haven't said anything. So I will not answer him with your words, as in I'm not even going to try to fix what you said. There's no fixing it. I've got to start completely brand new. <laughs> <laughs> Verse 15. They are dismayed and answer no more. Words escape them. And I have waited because they did not speak, because they stood still and answered no more. I also will declare, or excuse me, I also will answer my part. I too will declare my opinion, for I am full of words. The spirit within me compels me. Indeed, my belly is like wine that has no vent. It is ready to burst like new wineskins. Uh, just to point out here, Elihu is showing some unbelievable restraint. Yes, he is. When I am in an argument... I can find it very hard not to uh, interrupt. <laughs> if you've ever watched a recent presidential debate, and when I say recent, I mean like past two, yeah. three decades. <laughs> yeah. It's not exactly polite. And No, it's not. And just to point out, the restraint Elihu is showing that, oh my gosh, I knew the answer. I could have interrupted. I could have said this, but I held back. But I'm about ready to burst. I can't hold my tongue any, any longer. So when you're in an argument, let the other person speak. Uh, you know, Proverbs says, whether the when a wise man rages with a foolish man, whether he wins or loses, there is no peace. So if you're the wise and you're acting foolish, there's no peace whether you win the argument or not. It doesn't matter. So verse 20, I will speak that I may find relief. I must open my lips and answer. Let me not, I pray, show partiality to anyone, nor let me flatter any man. For I do not know how to flatter, else my maker would soon take me away. As in, I'm not on Job's side. I'm not on Job's friend's side. I'm here to say what God wants to say to be said. Yep. So verse or chapter 33, verse 1. Now he starts talking directly to Job. 
But please, Job, hear my speech and listen to all my words. Now I open my mouth, my tongue speaks in my mouth. Now, just a little aside, I remember, Curtis, when I was studying this, one thing I had trouble was the Hebrew poetry that's this book. Yes. You know, these three, these four lines, these two verses, they're all saying the same thing. Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, Hebrew poetry can be very repetitive. So if you're reading it and trying to understand Job, understand that it's going to be repetitive, and that's okay. That's the way they wrote. They're rhyming. Uh, they're yeah. not rhyming syllables like we rhyme. They're rhyming concepts. That's and right. so just, you know, it's a little wordy as compared to how we talk in English. But you can still get through it. Verse 3. My words come from my upright heart. My lips utter pure knowledge. Now, I've picked out that verse, and I've always wondered, well, I I have a theory, but I've wondered how Elihu knew he had pure knowledge. Remember, he's not reading from a book here. The Bible hasn't been written yet. Nope, sure hasn't. How did he get pure knowledge? Well, if you're if, if the question is how did he obtain it, um, clearly information had been passed down mm-hmm. over the generations. He's probably gleaned from that. Mm-hmm. I believe back back in in this time that that God was speaking clearly to men. Yep. That's and it. so, and so, Elihu may have had more than one personal conversation with God himself. Yeah, I think that's exactly. I was going to say. I think God told him. I think so too. And that's how he knew it was pure knowledge. Mm-hmm. Now I think you're also right. Elihu is obviously a learned man, and things were passed down. But yeah, I think God told him. Because yeah. he brings up, you know, the Almighty and his Maker, and you know, the, the this next verse. Well, I'll tell you, and I'm not trying to jump ahead of you, but mm-hmm. what really shows me that is verses uh, oh, 14 through uh, through 17. Mm-hmm. But you'll get there. Yeah, we'll get there. Um, yeah, I think God told him. That, that gives me some insight you know. to, you know, I, I've always been curious about that little passage, 14 through 17, and you're bringing up a point that probably answers that question for me. Yeah, and I think, actually, I studied that, you know, this latter half of the chapter. I kind of learned some more things when I studied it this time around. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, we're going to talk about it, and I, I think... I'm not sure I can dogmatically say I know I'm exactly right, but I think I got a pretty good theory on it. But we'll get there in a second. Uh, Verse 4. The Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. So this, I think, is just backing up his pure knowledge idea. Mm -hmm. And I think it's also just the way people talked closer to creation. You know, we don't really talk about God breathing life as much anymore. Nope. But that's how Adam was made. You know, he made him from clay and then breathed the breath of life into him. Mm -hmm. And you just notice that kind of language starts to go away the farther and farther we get from creation. So just another little proof that it's closer to creation. Uh, Verse 5. If you can answer me, set your words in order before me, take your stand. Truly, I am as your spokesman before God. I also have been formed out of clay. Another reference to creation there. Surely no fear will terrify you, nor will my hand be heavy on you. Now, if anybody's hand was heavy on Job, it was his three friends. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I actually saw it. Somebody sent me this picture today. It was kind of funny that it said uh, Job's three friends, and it had a picture of a uh, like a little medicine, like muscle rub, and it said, got pain on it. But then there was a business card right under it that said, you deserve it. <laughs> <laughs> and it was just kind of funny. But yeah, if anybody was hard on Job, it was his three friends. Well, and they, they were. They, they didn't 
they did not hold back, did they? No, I mean, Job even called them miserable counselors. <laughs> you know, and uh, and so Elihu is saying here, no fear of me will terrify you, nor will my hand be heavy on you. He's saying, I'm not here to condemn you like your friends were. You know, I'm not here to tell you how wrong you are and why you deserve this. And I'm telling you what God thinks about this situation. Right. <laughs> and therefore what you think should think about it. Uh, verse 8. Surely you have spoken in my hearing, and I have heard the sound of your words saying. So here Elihu sums up a lot of what Job is saying. And mm -hmm. this is really, really nice because, you know, again, Job is very wordy. And so this is a good summary. Verse 9. I am pure without transgression. I am innocent and there is no iniquity in me. Yet, now, if he didn't, if he stopped in at iniquity in me and didn't go on, mm -hmm. uh, he actually would have been correct. <laughs> but his problem is he kept going. Yet, he finds occasions against me. He counts me as an enemy. He puts my feet in the stocks. He watches all my paths. So what Job is saying is, I haven't done anything wrong, yet God is punishing me. And as we said a couple times now, the balance to keep him important here, Job didn't do anything wrong to directly deserve it, but it's right. also true that he didn't do anything to not deserve it. Mm -hmm. Because he's a sinner in need of grace, just like all of us are. And mm -hmm. so yeah, Job's argument, he's justifying himself, he's righteous in his own eyes, I didn't do anything wrong, and God's punishing me. Yeah. And actually, God yeah. isn't punishing him. It was Satan. That's right. So Job's actually even wrong about that. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, anyway, so now, now we get Elihu's answer. Look, in this you are not righteous. For I will answer you, for God is greater than man. Well, that should really, <laughs> I always get to that verse, and I'm like, well, that really solves the argument. You could end Job, put a period there, and just end the rest of Job right there. <laughs> yeah, you sure could. Yeah. God is greater than man. Verse 13, why is that important to know that God is greater than man? Why do you contend with him? For he does not give an accounting of any of its words. As in, That's right. God is greater than you. And he doesn't need to justify his actions. Exactly. He doesn't need to justify anything that he does. That's right. Um, isn't it nice when he does? Which oh, yeah. a lot of what is what Elihu's saying, actually, is God's not justifying, but he still wrote down his justification. Yeah. But that right there should end the argument, is that God doesn't have to justify himself to us. Nope. nope. Um, I remember... He doesn't, he doesn't answer to anybody. Yep. I remember, this is many years, probably 10 years ago, it was at a uh, student chapel I was in, and they were actually, they had a panel of teachers, and they were talking about homosexuality. And I remember a couple of the teachers gave these kind of nice reasonings about why they thought it was wrong, and, you know, some, some apolog you know, pop apologetics, as in not using the Bible, and then some kind of used the Bible, and none of them were incorrect. It just, that's what they were saying. And then they got to another teacher, and he just said, you know, I don't really need God to give me the reason for why he thinks something is wrong or right. If he tells me it's wrong or right, it is. Yeah. And, you know, that's actually a pretty good reason. Mm -hmm. You know, I've told, to take it in a little bit different direction, like with parenting, you know, you tell your kids not to do something, Why? Because I said so. Because I said so. And guess what? Biblically, that's a good reason. It sure is. I actually don't have to answer you as my child because I'm the greater. I'm the parent. I don't have to give you my justification. That's right. Now, it's often when you're teaching kids and raising them, it is often very useful and practical to give them reasons. That's right. But it is certainly not wrong to explain to your kid, I am the parent, and if I say no, it's no. I don't have to give you my reason. My reason that's is right. I'm the parent. Mm -hmm. And that's what Elihu is saying here. God is greater. He doesn't give an accounting. Why are you fighting with him? Mm -hmm. He doesn't have to do that. Now, he goes farther, and isn't that nice? Verse 14, For God may speak in one way or in another, yet man does not perceive it. And this is... This upcoming passage is what makes me believe that you're correct about Elihu actually having 
some direct conversations with God on some things mm-hmm. and getting firsthand knowledge. Yep. And bef- before we move on to it, God may speak in one way or in another, yet man does not perceive it. Elihu is connecting to this that God is so much greater and man is so stupid. Can I say it like that? That sure. man, can, God can tell us what to do and we don't even know he's talking to us. That's right. You know, it's kind of the, why can't I just hear God's voice? We'll go read the Bible. Well, no, I need to hear like an audible voice. All right, read it out loud. Uh-huh. You know, I mean, that really. And, you know, and, and Elihu also, when he wraps this little, this little couple of verses up, he actually sums up the reason God does things or communicates uh, with us the way he does mm-hmm. in verse 17 but like i say i'm not trying to get a hold of you but yeah uh, or ahead of you but that that's what that's what verse 17 does it kind of sums up uh, why god does things uh, the way he does when he talks to us yeah and uh yeah i'll i'll just leave it at that that we're so bad at perceiving what God is speaking to us that it's just another way that why would we contend with him? Mm-hmm. He probably told you something last week that you don't even remember, or this morning yeah. that you don't even remember that would have gotten you out of that situation you're or in. Or that you didn't listen to. Mm-hmm. Uh, can I be a little bit introspective here, Curtis? And there have been a number of things that uh, God has worked on me recently. And uh, he has brought to memory things I have said or thought months ago, even a year or two ago. And all of a sudden I learned this lesson. And then could be even a day or two later, God reminds me of me saying, why don't you teach me this? Or I want to know more about this or whatever it is. Oh, that's when I, why I went through the last three months of turmoil. Or that's why I felt like you haven't been speaking because you've been teaching me this lesson that I, that I asked you to teach me. But the only yeah. way I would have learned it is if you would have done this for however long you did it. And I'm just, I'm amazed that so often that is how he's speaking to me lately. Yeah, yeah. you know, I, 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 have encountered the same things, uh, and I think these next few verses are kind of Elihu's way of saying, "Listen, God, God will." take care of it even when you don't think he's going to take care of it or he's not speaking to you he is you just don't know how to listen yet yep you've got to learn how to listen mhm uh i remember about it'd be about a year ago now that it was actually uh pastor jb or actually gosh it's maybe been 2 years ago he made we were in a group of people and somebody brought up something about the parables. And and I kind of said something about parables, and JB jumped in and goes like, oh, well, Lucas is an expert on wisdom literature. Did you know he wrote a book on parables? And they're like, well, no, why didn't you say that? And I'm like, well, I'm not going to tell you I wrote a book on it. I'm like, I'm not going to do that. And since he said that, I kind of you know left that conversation, and I thought, boy, there's the whole book of Psalms that's part of the wisdom literature mm-hmm. that I really haven't studied in depth. Right. And if JB's calling me an expert on wisdom literature, I better start learning the book of Psalms. <laughs> well, guess what? <laughs> I started studying Psalms, but I have learned over the past year or so that I've been studying. I haven't made, I'm about at Psalm 100 or so. And I've, you know, diverged from that study. I've studied other things, but I have learned that so much of understanding the Psalms is experiential. Oh, yeah. Uh, And that you can read Psalms and you can study them, but until you start to go through the things that the psalmists went through... Absolutely. you You don't experientially understand it, even if you theologically understand it. 
Well, you know, the ones that David wrote especially uh, are all written because of personal experience. Yep. And Almost I, all of them. Yep, and I'm not going to claim that I went through what David, you know, I don't have a king coming after my life all the time. Right. You know, but uh, but yeah, I've just discovered that. So when Elihu talks about this, God may speak in one way or in, in another, yet man does not perceive it. You know, how thick-headed am I that it, it, it can take God two years to teach me a very simple lesson? Right. And then he brings right. to, when I finally learn the lesson, he brings to memory, oh yeah, you said that two years ago that you wanted to learn it. <laughs> anyway, so there you go. Enough of Lucas's introspection. Well, let's get let's get to this next uh, verse here that you've been really building up. Uh, verse fifteen: In a dream, in a vision in the night, when deep slumber falls upon men, while slumbering on their beds, then he, that's God, opens the ears of men and seals their instruction in order to turn man from his deed and conceal pride from man he oh. keeps back his soul from the pit and his life from perishing by the sword oh so that so why does god operate this way mm-hmm. because because if he didn't he has to because of our pride mm-hmm. he wants to withdraw us from what we want to do he wants to keep us from doing things our way and just do it his. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah. I, I'm going to, you said that great. I'm going to address this whole dream and a vision thing. <laughs> okay. Now, I personally can't ever speak to having some sort of dream in which I learned something great. In fact, my <laughs> the funny story about a dream, my wife one time, we were hanging out uh, with a bunch of friends back in college, and she somehow fell asleep. And she had a dream that I was dating another girl in the in the group. And when she woke up, she didn't know that was true, so she was really angry. <laughs> and, then oh, yeah. it, and then it took her until she got back home to realize it was a dream, and then she called me and apologized and felt really sad. Anyway, just kind of a, kind of a funny story about that. But um, dreams, you know, back in Genesis in this time, they were a lot more prevalent. Oh yeah. Today, God is now nothing saying that God couldn't still communicate through a dream. In fact, depending on stories you listen to, apparently there are you know Muslims around the world that are having dreams about not attacking Christians. Say in the Middle East. Now, can I confirm that? No, I can't. But there's nothing saying that God can't communicate through dreams and visions still. I, I believe he does. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe he does. Yep, uh, yep. In fact, I, I have a little anecdotal uh, story for you. Uh, I, as you know, I wrote a book back in 2011, late 2011. Yeah. Published it in, in early 2012. Uh, but I think I was right about in the middle of completing the book, and and my wife and I were in bed, and I you knew it. We're both asleep. Next thing I know, uh, she's shaking me violently. Hey, wake up. Wake up. And I said, well, what, 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 what's, what's going on? And she said, who were you just talking to? Hmm. And I said, I don't was I talking? She goes, yes. What? Did you hear something from somebody? And I said, what? She said, you were saying, okay, Lord, yes. Okay. I'll do that. And, and I'll, I, I, yeah, you're right. I will take care of that. Hmm. And she said, what kind of instructions were you getting? <laughs> that was clear as day. I said, I don't know. I don't remember. I don't re- recall having a dream like that. But... Hmm. She didn't leave me alone for three weeks after that. Hmm. I mean, she'd tell me, all right, go to bed, go to sleep. <laughs> and, and she'd wait for me to fall asleep, I'm pretty sure. You know, because yeah. she convinced. I don't remember having a dream where I was where I was receiving any kind of instruction from the Lord. You know, I don't remember anything like that. But she she swore up and down that that's what was going on. 
Hmm. I I don't know what it might have been, but I surely don't remember. To this day, I don't remember. Mm-hmm. That's but that's a neat story. But is it possible? Yeah. I, yes. I think it is. Mm-hmm. So it now what Elihu also could be doing is very early on in Job, Eliphaz references mm-hmm. a dream that he had and a vision. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he could be playing off of that. Uh, Job addresses that and says he's Eliphaz was trying to scare him. Mm-hmm. So he could be, um, you know, referencing that. But yeah, why? Does God communicate through a vision or really any other means to conceal mm-hmm. pride from men, mm-hmm. to turn them away from their doing? Uh, because when you have this pride, when you're doing the wrong thing, what happens? You head towards the pit. That's right. Now, the pit here is death, uh, not right. necessarily heaven or hell, but just death in general. Mm-hmm. And so. He's trying. God is doing this to protect us from dying. <laughs> now, mm-hmm. uh, Eliphaz uh, keeps going on this, and I think he's kind of he, he doesn't say it directly, but he's saying God can instruct us in another way. Verse nineteen: Man is also chastened with pain on his bed, and with strong pain in many of his bones, so that he his life abhors bread. And his soul succulent food, his flesh wastes away from sight, and his bones stick out, which once were not seen. Yes, his soul draws near the pit, there's our death again, and his life to the executioners. So, God can use a very, very painful experience, as well as speaking directly to you through, say, a vision. And Eliphaz's point is, you're not going to perceive it either way. Yeah. So how would you know? Basically, man is too stupid. So if that's the case, why in the world are you contending with God about what he's doing <laughs> when you can't even understand how he's trying to talk to you? Yeah. Um, you know, at the end of the day, truth be told, Job is going to end up a lot better because of this experience. Exactly. So why in the world, Job, are you arguing with God when this is God's vehicle to make you an even more righteous person. Mm-hmm. Boy, now that's some perspective, isn't it? Yeah. yeah it uh, is. one, of, one of the verses that I absolutely love is in Ecclesiastes. And I bring this up, I think about it often. You could call it my life verse, <laughs> if you wanted to say it. It's okay. uh, Ecclesiastes 7.10. Do not say, why were the former days better than these? For you do not inquire wisely concerning this. As in, mm-hmm. you can't go, boy, those were the good old days. Yeah. You can't say that. Right. Now, right. conversely, I think it's also just as true. You can't say, boy, those were the bad old days. You can't say that either. Maybe the good days led to the bad days. And maybe the bad yep. days led to the good days. Yeah. See, but, but you don't know. Because you don't know what God's doing to teach you. Mm-hmm. That's Eliphaz's whole, or uh, Eli, whose whole point. Uh, let's keep going. Verse 23. If there is a messenger for him, a mediator. Now, Job, earlier in the book, has talked about having a mediator between him and God. Yeah. And that mediator eventually came to be in the form of Jesus Christ. That's right. And so this is a major foreshadowing here. Oh, <laughs> uh, it's pretty obvious. Yep, a mediator one on a thousand to show man his uprightness. His uprightness. Um, why did Jesus come? Well, one was to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Well, that'd sure. be the righteous part. Jesus was perfect. Yep. Then he is gracious to him. Now I love that gracious to him part. The Hebrew word carries the picture of a. Uh, uh, superior bending or stooping towards an inferior. Right. Well, didn't Eliphat or Elihu already make that point that God is greater than us? Sure did. So basically, when there's a mediator between us and God, God is able to stoop down to our level mm-hmm. and be gracious to us. Yeah. Well, isn't exact? That's exactly what happened with Jesus Christ. That's correct. 
Uh, now, deliver him from going down to the pit. I have found a ransom. Mm. Uh, Jesus paid our sin penalty. Amen. He was the mediator. Um, and so Amen. God can say, deliver him from going down to the pit, as in deliver him from death. We can transfer that over to hell. I have found a ransom. It's the mediator. Yeah. Yeah. Now, ultimately, Curtis, the more I study this passage, I think it's really talking about sanctification. That's exactly what it's talking about, um, really. But you can make all the same analogies to justification, which is what I was just talking about. Sure. Um, but sanctification really works the same way. Since Jesus is our high priest, you know, he's praying for us. He's showing us the righteous life. Mm -hmm. He's you can almost think he's kind of continually our ransom at, yes. at, or sorry, continually our mediator. He paid our sin penalty yet. Mm -hmm. And so that saved us from the consequence of sin, but yeah. he's still saving us from sin during our life here on earth. Well, sure he is. Mm -hmm. And so I think this passage is really talking about sanctification, but again, all the same things can be said about justification. Let's keep going. Verse 25. His flesh shall be young like a child's. He shall return to the days of his youth. He shall pray to God and he will delight in him. He shall see his face with joy for he restores to man his righteousness. Now, very, very important in contrast to everything Job's friends said. Did you notice that the man, the man that needed a mediator didn't do anything? Right. The mediator took care of it, and then God was gracious to the man. Mm -hmm. Wow, isn't that the same as justification and sanctification? We don't do anything to pay the ransom. Mm -hmm. And in our sanctification, what does Paul say? We walk by faith, not by sight. That's right. So anyway, let's see. He restores man to his righteousness. Then he looks at men. So now this guy, who has just been restored to fellowship with God through the mediator, then he looks at men and says, I have sinned and perverted what was right, and it did not profit me. There's your change of mind. There's your repentance. That's your repentance. That's your change of attitude. Yep. Notice the grace happened first. Mm -hmm. And then once you were restored, then you started to fix things. You, know, yeah. there, you don't fix things first. You know, There's an order to things. That's right. He will redeem his soul from going down to the pit. There's that word pit again. And his life shall see light. Yeah. So he gets forgiven by no action of his own. Mm -hmm. Then he realizes, man, that was really rough. I shouldn't have done that. And then he's further redeemed so that he doesn't have to die for it. And his life shall see light. His light will get better. Right. Now, Job's friend's solution was, you better clean up your life, and then it'll get better. Mm -hmm. That's the wrong order. You don't, wrong clean up, order. you don't clean up your life first. You ask for forgiveness and grace. God restores you. Then you start fixing everything because <laughs> you're right. doing it by faith. That's right. And this is why we can look at this. This is sanctification because next it says, Behold, God works all these things twice, in fact, three times with a man. God doesn't work our salvation more than once. But, right. but we do keep sinning, <laughs> and he has to keep restoring us. <laughs> that's right. And so the uh, twice, in fact, three times with a man, that's a poetic way to basically say as many times as he needs to. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, verse 30, to bring back his soul from the pit, there's the pit again, that he may be enlightened with the light of life. Well, the word pit was used, I think, five times, and he repeats this phrase, yeah. light shall see the light, or the light of life. Mm -hmm. If you want to see the light of life, you need to ask for forgiveness, not just try to fix it on your own. That's right. I've been learning, Curtis, something that stuck out to me in this Psalms, is how often the Psalms appeal to God's mercy. Oh, oh yeah. And there's, yeah. there's a reason for oh. that. <laughs> oh, sure. That's a great, big, obvious reason for it. Yep, because the reason is we appeal to God to forgive us before we start fixing things. 
That's right. Because we're really not going to be able to fix things correctly until we receive God's mercy. Uh, until we change our attitude. Yep. Yep. So we'll just make sure we got the order right. Uh, boy, how good is the book of Job? That was settled. First book they wrote down, you know? <laughs> All right, and then kind of a conclusion here. Verse 31, give ear, Job, listen to me. Hold your peace, and don't interrupt me, <laughs> and I will yeah. speak. If you have anything to say, answer me. Speak, for I desire to justify you. Boy, how important is that? Yeah. Job's friends condemned him. Yep. Elihu here is giving Job some instruction indirectly. He hasn't actually told Job to do anything yet. Right. Uh, but he's explained to Job, look, there's no reason to argue with God. He's the one trying to keep you back from your pride in your pit. And you can't perceive it, but you need a mediator to forgive you. Then you can go about fixing things. Right. If not, listen to me, hold your peace, and I will teach you wisdom. And Curtis, that's probably a pretty good place to stop. Because in chapter 34, Elihu addresses Job's friends. Oh, yes, he does. And boy, does he have a lot to say to them. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's putting it mildly. Yeah. So, yeah, we'll stop there, and uh, we'll continue next okay. week. We might just get through one chapter. We might get through two. We'll just see how it goes. We'll play it by ear. Mm-hmm. We'll play it by ear. Good, good hour. Uh-oh. I've got somebody outside the partition here. Hold on. Oh, hey, Pop. You got one of those old printers with the little paper, you know, holes on the side you got to rip up? <laughs> That's what it sounded like. <laughs> All right. Um, we're going we're gonna to wrap this thing up. Great hour, in my opinion. And uh, uh, well, well, uh, well taught, my friend. You uh, you have a, a good keen insight, and uh, I, I loved your book on Job. And uh, for any of our listeners um, that are interested in getting some more of this kind of wisdom, uh, go pick up Lucas Doremus's book, "Stand Still and Consider." It's, it's a commentary on the book of Job. Believe me, you will love it. You will love it. I, I've, uh, I'm about three-quarters of the way through on my second reading. Hmm. So, you know, it, it's that good. Well, pick it up. You can pick it up anywhere books are cold. So, with that being said, 